Nick Bratton, and Steve Brownstein. From their 25 years of experience in business and training, Nick and Steve will bring you insight, research, and industry thought leaders on all matters of business, leadership, and training. This show will help all professionals improve the growth of their business, coaching knowledge, and leadership ability. As coaches and leaders, you are asked to wear many hats. Let them help you manage this balancing act with the Business of Speed podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Business of Speed podcast. Unique kind of twist on what we're normally doing. Uh, our guest today is Coach Matt Tometz, who uh, works side by side with me at TC Boost currently. He's coming to us from TCU, where he was a grad student uh, working with women's beach volleyball. Uh, originally kind of joined TCU with the idea of being a little bit more on the strength and conditioning side, transitioned a little bit more into that sports science role um, at TCU and has brought that as he's joined our staff to really be able to kind of bridge the gap between collecting numbers and then what happens next. What do we do with these numbers besides just tell our athletes that they got better? And today's talk is just going to be strictly on the training side. We're going to crush it with the ideas of what is really sports science? How do we use these numbers to influence our day-to-day decision-making, readiness questionnaires, and then what kind of research is being conducted in this private setting where the controllables are small, but we still want to have research, not just anecdotal evidence to support what we're doing. So Matt, I appreciate you being on today. Can you give us just a little brief explanation for what does sports science mean to you? Fantastic. Well, first, I just want to say that TC Boost is an awesome environment, place to work that is supportive enough to let me kind of be a nerd, do my thing, and just like full go on this whole thing we call sports science, which sounds a lot cooler than it really is. And I'll, I'll explain that right now. So sports science, if we break it down into simply just define the two terms, first science, right? The scientific method. We've all done, done that experiment in elementary school where we had different plants on the windowsill, different amounts of light, and you just measure how tall the plant grows. That's science. You have a hypothesis or a question, you collect your numbers and you figure out what they mean. And then sports science is just applying that method, that thought process, those protocols to sport or getting better at sport, getting bigger, faster, stronger, reducing the risk of injury, et cetera, et cetera. So what we do at TC Boost is we help athletes get faster. And we have plenty of technology to utilize that we do utilize. So where I come in is just putting it all together, helping kind of guide those discussions of what questions do we want to answer? How do we answer those? Kind of working through some of the potential sticking points and some of those like finer details that I have familiarity with going through two years of sports science at TCU, going through the publishing process of the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, and kind of just, uh, Steve, Steve is like the visionary, and then I'm just like the, but where's the numbers? So we definitely kind of go back and forth pretty well. Uh, but that's just an overview of kind of sports science. It's hypothesis or just your question. Collect your data, what does it mean? But what that looks like in an applied context two three-step frameworks, this, this is the second one, is data discussion decision. And people often get lost or they miss two-thirds of this process where they just go all out on getting all of these numbers, right? But if we're collecting these numbers with the intent of help, helping us do our job better, I'm not saying that it should flip 180 everything we do, but if we're looking for those 
those small wins, those little percent increases of efficiency and stuff like that, well, then we have to actually act on, it, you know, and what's cool in the applied sector, Tommy being here 20 years, Steve being here 10 years, I've been here on and off for five. So we're familiar with the processes we've tried and, and taken out and added in a ton of different stuff, but now we have ways to actually evaluate what, what should stick, what shouldn't. We've always had these intuitions or feelings about certain things, but now we have actual ways that we can ask and answer those questions, but then putting it together in staff meetings, stuff like that, just interacting with athletes, we know what discussions to justify, to open up based on the data. And then consequently from those discussions, we know what decisions to make. And like I said, the decisions don't have to be a oh, complete 180. We're not going to turn into a, a powerlifting gym, but if we're looking for those, you know, to get someone from a, a 101 flying 10 to a 100, right? Or if we're just trying to increase longevity or whatever, there's all these small wins. That's where we can combine our intuition plus experience, plus these data to make very interesting discussions and consequent decisions. How's kind of all that sound? Oh, I love it. I mean, that, that's such an easy breakdown of what is really sports science mean? Because I know the term gets thrown around a lot. There's roles and titles of sports scientists, but in reality, a lot of us as coaches are, are acting on these, these premises already. And I know you always say that to me is, oh, you're doing sports science. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just kind of collecting data and then just kind of making some decisions like that's sports science. And, but I just never have really recorded it in depth and then made like a post evaluation. It's a lot more like in the moment I'm seeing numbers and I'm making decisions about what we're going to do that day. And that's kind of the next thing that I wanted you to touch on was we've had so many discussions about when do you call a session based on how your athlete is training and TC boost. We've made a lot of posts about the percent of your max effort sprint. If you're in this range, you're kind of getting good training stimuluses. If you're falling below, maybe you need to modify out of it, but readiness questionnaires can provide you a lot of information before they even get going. I know that there's checks that you can do. We've talked about vertical jump checks at the beginning of a workout. Uh, do a flying 10 and see what your percent of your best is. But what can we do, in your opinion, before they even start their session? If we get a questionnaire out, what kind of questions give us a better picture? Yeah, so this is something that, that I did at TCU as part of my thesis, as well as we've been doing with our NFL Combine guys. And it's just a daily wellness questionnaire. There's so many different terms for the same concept. But we ask them seven questions. We ask them to do it before they get into the facility that day. That's how many hours did you sleep to the nearest half hour? Was your sleep quality one out of seven? Was your energy one out of seven? Soreness one out of seven? Um, stress one out of seven? How would you rate your nutrition the last day one out of seven? And just your overall just feeling of fatigue one out of seven. And there's so many, there's so much research on like, well, you have to ask a certain question this way and you have to do all this kind of stuff. And like, I, I'm a little bit more of, I guess, like a rebel sports scientist or an applied sports scientist where it's like, what question do they understand they're going to ask every day and it's not going to change. You know, there's going to be, there's never going to be a study published on how do you use team builder in Chicago with four guys from different universities, some that have used sports science questions before and some haven't and all this kind of stuff. 
So I know that there's value in research and people love throwing around, oh, I read this study. It's like, okay, well, how does it help you become a better practitioner, right? So those are the, the seven questions we ask. At TCU, we just did uh, the first five. But so I look at those before the guys uh, roll in or when they start rolling out, stretching out. And if they all look good, no big red flags, I, I tell Tommy, hey, uh, they're, they're good to go. Or, uh, hey, Tommy, just check in with, with guy number A, guy letter A, number one, whatever. Uh, uh, his soreness is a little bit higher than, than yesterday, you know? Or, or, so that's because Tommy's willing to make daily changes. That's, that's also a key, is if we have this data discussion decision model, well, if we're not willing to modify the daily plan, we're only going to modify the weekly plan or one week at a time, well, do I have to tell you what the numbers are every single day? Or do we have to meet every single day? Probably not. So whatever numbers will influence our daily decisions, I'll tell Tommy on a daily basis, right? Or overall, the first week, soreness was a little bit high, right? So then it justified a discussion about the lifting, the amount of lifting, the type of lifting, the amount of speed, the type of speed. And it might've just been a little bit too much for the first week because it's all relatively new, right? Okay, so then what decisions does that drive? So those are the, the daily wellness questionnaires. Um, that's at least what we call them, so. And it, like, as you're describing it, it's kind of like you're, you're telling the story of like what we're gonna be seeing from that training session. You're just setting that foundation for that to say, hey, be a little wary of him, check in. Then during the warm-up, if you're seeing little odd things along the way, whether his range of motion seems off, he's not really bouncy. And then if you're doing some sort of jumping kind of check in early in that one and he's down a little bit, it's really going to start to say like, okay, this is like a pattern for today that he's just down. Have you seen it where the athlete re records his answers a certain way and then actually is performing really well that day? Yeah. So that's interesting. Cause that was my, my next little anecdote. And as I went through that example, I didn't say he put a four out or a five out of seven on his soreness and we made the decision to cut it. Right. It's what discussions did we make? And it was the beginning of this last week or the end of two weeks ago. And they were just asking for a deal of the week. They were kind of beat up. And one guy hit his best jumps and sprints of the, of the four weeks prior. Now, that was on the first day of the week. Was he going to carry that through the rest of the week? No. But being able to just say, hey, we're conscious of your wellness scores. We're just going to play it by ear. Now we're just more aware, right? Or if he says, you know, I, I can make it like two more days, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, I'm the expert on the numbers. Tommy's the expert on training the NFL guys. And those guys are the experts on their own body, right? So how do we kind of put that all together into optimizing? And then another uh, anecdote. So SRPEs, are we at that point in the chat yet? That's what I was going to ask about is this has Perfect. been mostly about like that pre-training situation, but there is a bunch of value from understanding how they are talking about how that session was not like that. Yeah, it was a good training session, but more of how has it been affecting their body to get a better idea of what tomorrow might look like. So can you go into just like, what is that SRPE relative to your readiness scores? Yeah. So SRPE is session rating of perceived exertion. So session is one number for the overall session versus if someone has a powerlifting background, they know who Mike Tashir is, you can do an RPE of one set. But how we use it is just at the end of the session, we give them 
10, 15 minutes to just cool down because you don't want to finish doing a TC boost shuttle and then be asked one out of 10 how hard the session was. So give them a little bit of time to kind of cool down, reflect on the entire session and just one out of 10, how hard was the session? 10 being, you know, a super hard workout, crazy hard. And then one being like, we just walk around the facility. Now going back to how there are technical things that you should or shouldn't do when doing these questionnaires. If I said the hardest workout you've ever done in your entire life, well, college football strength and conditioning workouts, you know, it's probably different than, you know, each guy's going to have their own interpretation versus like a high school basketball player that we have. And then also the technical scale, uh, which was uh, from Carl Foster, it was only like one or two words per number, one out of 10, and five was hard, you know, versus you would assume five is like medium. And then as I was giving the, the staff at TC Boost a kind of coach education PowerPoint, I was like, yeah, here's the technical one. And then I was like, here's this one with colors and just a little bit more descriptions. And everyone was like, nope, colors. Like there's no shot that athletes will, will have, you know, like one word per number, you know, trying to, so it's, it's all relative to their interpretation of the numbers, right? So as long as we communicate, hey, it's the whole session, one number, don't, don't ask the three other guys what they're putting, right? I'm asking you what you put because I want to know how you felt. You know, one thing I learned at TCU was, was my athletes would kind of all get together in these pods of their friends. And if you thought it was a nine, but everyone thought it was like a six, well, you don't want to look out of shape, you know? So there's, there's all these little like factors that, or anecdotes that you just kind of learn along the way and what to do, what not to do. And with all of this stuff, there should be, uh, I don't know, a three, four week uh, observation period, at least for us, two weeks for an eight week training cycle. But there was one, one study that I heard someone talk about for GPS, you should have that for four years before you do anything with it, you know, and like, I don't know if that's the most efficient way to do it, but now I'm not saying that the first time someone puts a six out of seven soreness, I'm going to abandon ship. Right. But each athlete will have their own interpretations of the numbers. So with, I'll, I'll go back to the wellness really quick. So one out of seven, some athletes will be totally comfortable saying a one or saying a seven. Other people, those are the extremes. So one out of seven is really a two out of six. And some people, they're kind of on autopilot, they'll just put a four because that's the middle. And then consequently for the SRPEs, we have an athlete who is a rugby player who's 290 that jumps 35 inches. So if any NFL agents are listening to this, you should check them out. But his SRPEs, we found in the first two weeks, were usually like two points lower than everyone else because like rugby is just so physically demanding. So am I saying that he's not working as hard? No, his just interpretation of what a true 10 out of 10 is or what the, everyone says is a seven is just a five for him. So you'll learn athletes that are more consistent, athletes that are maybe a little bit more in tune or willing to put those end range numbers, what athletes will just run high, some athletes will run low. Like I had a, an athlete for games, they always put a 10 out of 10 because they're like, I'm always trying my hardest, you know? So that's where one of those things where I saw like 10s across the board for two weeks. I was like, hey, like just going over the RPEs, the SRPEs, um, I saw that you put 10s every time. Can we just chat through that? And then now I know, you know? So every app, so I'm in charge of explaining it in one way, a consistent way to have my reasonings on why I do say, certain things use colors or not use colors as well as learn the athletes and kind of their interpretations of it as well but that's how we use srpes 
And uh, that's half of it. The other half of it, which I think is the most important part, is the coach SRPE, right? With all of this data, if I said an athlete put a seven out of, a seven out of ten, you're like, okay, cool. That's like kind of high, I guess. But what if I said it was supposed to be a nine out of ten based on the plan? Oh, that's actually pretty low. So everything is relative. So having Tommy, whenever he makes these speed workouts, if he had to guess the average of the four guys, what they would put, you know, and then it just gives so much more context to the numbers because it's not what the numbers are. It's what they are relative to what you thought or what you planned they should be. And that's what justifies this discussion. If I'm just like, oh, this guy put a seven, that guy put an eight, that guy put a, a six. Okay, well, what were they supposed to put out? I don't know, you know, so coach RPE, learn your athletes, but also have your reasonings um, for the like standard explanations for kind of all this stuff. Uh, I kind of jumped around on that, but is there anything that, that you would like me to explain further? Yeah, I think like the big, the big piece I'm glad you tied together was that the coaches have to kind of create what they think this, the workout is going to feel like. Then after doing that regularly for a period of time, I mean, ideally you have a little bit more time than maybe a week to observe or two weeks to observe, but if you can, and then kind of just having your athletes answering without having it necessarily influence your decisions yet, but you got to make sure that you're kind of understanding just what are they understanding that they're supposed to be putting down? Are you thinking clearly as far as what you're saying? And then once you kind of understand on both sides, now it can be more of something that's used to influence your decisions but at first you're just really focused on the data side of it. And then you're having kind of discussions behind closed doors about, do we need to talk to these athletes about what they're putting down? Are we way off about what we think these are? And then you start making those decisions. Is that, is that kind of what you're kind of talking through a little bit? Yeah. Is, is there's this, we have to have our protocols. We have to have our plan. We have to kind of observe and then consequently putting those all together as time goes on. Okay. How does this make us better? You know, and if you miss kind of one of those three parts, well, it doesn't give you the full picture when it comes time to actually make those decisions. Yeah. So let's say in an application piece now, if you're a coach of a team or you're a strength coach in the high school or the collegiate setting, and you have a little bit more control over this, you can get some great data collection early on. You can get some good discussions going afterwards. We're in the private side. It's a bit chaotic. So let's say that we don't have the ability to really get this beforehand check-ins. What do you think like in your head is like the most applicable way that we can do this in these semi-chaotic situations in the private setting? Do we want to chat wellness, SRPEs, both? Yeah. Like if you were like, if you're saying that I'm going to go in, I'm going to design this in essentially the setting that we have at TC Boost, where we have some athletes going regularly, some come every now and then. Some come three days a week, some come two days a week. Where do you see like the area that you can best apply it right now versus the absolute ideal of kind of getting so much information more regularly? Yeah, so applying it kind of right now with the athlete who's in twice a week, most weeks, you know, depending. And just because we can quantify, doesn't mean that you still can't ask those questions. You know, like I, I just trained an, an athlete earlier today. I didn't know that they had a game later tonight until just yesterday when we were just texting about scheduling our session, you know? So sports science, yes, there's ways to quantify it, but does it have to be recorded on an app for you to ask them how sore they are? No. So there's these concepts of sports science. What are we trying to get at? An insight into how the, the 
the body, the athlete's body is feeling that we can track over time. Well, if they're only in here twice a week and they might not be willing to do all this outside of the facility to get the app, do it every day, et cetera, et cetera. You can still ask those questions, you know? So I think just because it might not be the most efficient or feasible to actually like get it kind of all official with the app and et cetera, et cetera. I think there's still ways to do it qualitatively. Um, so that's for the wellness. It's simply just asking that if you want to write it down or just um, if it's an athlete you feel more comfortable, uh, if you're not going to train them later that night, hey, text me your five numbers for these five questions, you know, whenever you get a chance before like noon today. Um, so I think it probably depends on the athlete, but for our group classes, just a simple check-in, you know, like, like what's the difference between me telling Tommy, Hey, they put a five out of seven versus you just asking about the soreness anyways. Yeah. It, it, it ends up in the same decisions, you know? Um, but for the SRPEs, it was interesting because on kind of our, our template for lifts, uh, we have intro base shock deload, you know, and I've, we now have a way to quantify that. You know, intro would be like a six, base is a seven, shock is like an eight and a half, and then deload is hopefully like back to a six or like a five. So if that's kind of this idea of how we progress a four-week lifting block, well, we have our, our plan basically, you know, and even just having in mind, even with our, our ADPs for speed, you know, we'll do the same speed workouts for four weeks at a time. Well, knowing that intensity should probably increase a little bit more. And you just knowing that, that that's the plan, then that'll consequently influence how you coach. If you make rest times a little bit shorter, if you maybe add a few more reps, if you just cue the intensity to go up. So that's why the plan is super important. And then if there's a few athletes that you can trust, you know, let's say two of the six, Hey, what'd you give that workout? One out of 10, you know, and I'm not saying the first time you ask them that, you either give yourself a big pat on the bat or a big pat on the back or abandon ship. But if there's an athlete that you trust, you can do it over a few weeks, then you as a coach know, Oh, wow. Like that was supposed to be an eight, but like, that's really six. Like where could I have added the intensity a little bit, you know? Uh, so I think that that would be a, a pretty good place to start just kind of having that plan and even just doing it qualitatively, just making notes on the back of the workout card for each time they come in, um, so very, very casual kind of sports science, but that's probably the most feasible way to start. I love it. I think it's a great place to just kind of get started. If you're not currently doing any of these components, it's a, it's a great way to just kind of get it rolling with some of your athletes. You're more consistent athletes for sure. And then you might be able to kind of better make decisions than when you start having those conversations with other athletes as they come through the door. And I know like we've talked about here at TC Boost with all the data that we collect and so many other facilities collect endless amounts of data on timing, if it's jumping, verticals, things like that. How have you found a way to kind of create research opportunities in a setting where you're not able to control much of the parameters outside of just them coming in and working out? Can you go through a little bit of like what has been your strategy and then a couple of the ones that you've kind of done and found some results from that may be surprising? Yeah. So I, I think this question is based on like applied sports science. So there's like basic research that's like in a lab, lab coat, you know, and then we have applied sports science. So one thing that's nice is that I'm actually on the floor every day with the coaches, with the athletes. I'm in the staff meetings talking about programming, kind of all of this stuff. So I know what it looks like in real time. So I would say that there's like perfect data 
and there's like real world data. So it's like, what data can we actually get? And if I can give a few tips and tricks to get the real world data a little bit more perfect, and if I can know what like is perfect and kind of like bring those two a little bit closer together, then that's kind of how you put basic research with applied research. But so basically, you know, just as much as you have kind of anecdotal evidence, you have anecdotal questions where it's like, oh, I, I feel like this works or I've seen this work with, with my athletes before. And I go, okay, Steve, like, where's the numbers? He's like, oh, it just works, you know? And then just with the stats background, I, I like my computer, you know, as Steve likes his phone. But um, we have ways to actually like answer those questions. So we have these ideas in our heads, but now if we have a protocol, we know what statistical tests to run, et cetera, et cetera. That's for someone with my role and my title, that's like kind of my job. So uh, this would be more of like an internal case study or an internal study. So I'll go through the, the racing example that I, I hooked all the interns on uh, yesterday. But so we race with our athletes. Like we, we have groups, they race, they have fun, engagement's up, and we think they run faster. Well, we have ways to actually ask if that's true or not. So consequently, should we be programming more races in or should we just keep it to one at a time to kind of keep the reps down uh, and then just get higher quality sprints in? So me knowing how to limit confounding variables, what tests I'll need to run, but then consequently that influences how I record the numbers. So we basically had kids alternate either they started running by themselves or they started racing someone else and then they did race by themselves race by themselves or the other way around and i just like ran simple stats and we found statistically speaking they run two and a half percent faster and you would think oh well of course but now we know for sure so now we know that it is worth our time to maybe program a few more sprints in. or maybe if it's if it's week three and week four of an adp we should be doing more races to get more volume in and they're going to run faster. So then intensity is going to go up, you know, kind of into like, what does that look like applied? What decisions do we make because of it? And then another uh, example of a little study I did was uh, with our 1080 sprint that we love so much, there's an option to trim the, the sprints for the best one meter, three meters, five meters at a time, as opposed to the, the peak. So the peak is the best split second, literally the, it samples at 330 hertz. So there's 300, 330 data points at one second. So sh should we look at one 330th, the best, or should we look at the best one stride, three meters, or the best two strides, five meters, when looking at overspeed? Because when athletes overspeed, am I looking at their fastest kind of toe off at, you know, instantaneously? Or if we're talking about top speed maintenance, you know, top speed running, is it worth the five seconds to select the rep, hit trim, best split position, five meters? So I just wrote down all of those numbers, the peaks, the three-meter trims, the five-meter trims, and we found that although it wasn't a huge difference, a difference did exist. So technically, it is worth our time to 10 seconds make that trim. Now, if you're doing a private client, it's a little bit more feasible versus if you have six in a class. So... There's definitely all these other factors to consider versus like, yeah, we should, but it's like at the end of the day, how do we keep the experience high for the athletes um, versus getting bogged down? So there's perfect data, but you know, that might be sacrificed at, at making a good experience or just getting everyone involved to kind of get real world data, tying that back into the 
the application. Yeah, and I think another one you did that was kind of interesting was just testing the amount of sprints that someone did and if they got better and when during it, because typically in the past, it was kind of like, we're going to try to get three or four kind of short sprints in, but you were seeing athletes hitting their best times as far as how many sprints in, how, how many were they getting to? Uh, so, so that was something that, that you, uh, that we kind of just started talking about, like who's to say that we should do like four or five 15s, like it's only 15 yards. And as long as they have plenty of rest. So I, my little case study was, I call it 10 tries, you know? So it's, we're going to do four sprints and then I'll take at least, I'll take the best one of the day. I'll make that two and a half percent slower. And as long as we're within that range, then we'll keep going until we hit 10. And I found that on average, now there's some, you know, some trials, their best one will be the first one that kind of throws the, the numbers off. But even with those, the best sprint was like five point something. So on the back half of 10 was like their best sprint of the day. Um, so that was just like a question we had or, or Steve just observed was like, yeah, they'll be like popping off their best one on the eighth one, you know? So what, what is this protocol? What does that look like? What stats are we going to run just with my background and my own interest to figure out like, should we say 10 tops stop at two and a half or should we say four and call it a good day? Um, but then tying that in with another percent we talk about is like 95%. Um, if they're above a certain percent and they're within that two and a half percent threshold, well, that kind of takes care of how many reps to do because we have these ranges, these thresholds, these uh, frameworks to help us make those decisions. Um, so that's another question that we had uh, that we answered. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, there's so many things that we can go into about the different types of jumping that we want to track, the different types of sprinting we want to track. But I think that's such a great foundation for how are we actually applying this data into having discussions and then making decisions about what we're doing. And all of these are different. Like the NFL group is a daily type thing. The uh, group training we're doing is a little bit more of like an every three weeks type thing. We're kind of looking at that data. And then for our private clients, sometimes that is weekly that we're looking at. So it's, a, it's across the spectrum because in this private side, there's so many variables we can't control. And just recently, uh, Matt was talking to me about, are you seeing a lot of our athletes being down in speed right now? You know, and I didn't, I didn't have the research behind it, but I said, well, like I, my gut is telling me that they just started doing sports again. They're just doing practices again. They're having going back to school. The days are longer now. And so does it make sense that our kids are running slower, you know? And after we talked, it was just that simple conversation that said like, well, let's ask some more of our kids, not an official SRP essentially, but just like, how are you feeling? How, how are the days? And I've had tons of feedback immediately from my kids saying like, I'm tired. It's a long day. I got lacrosse after this. I had lacrosse or soccer yesterday. And so it starts painting this picture for us without having true research that the, uh, the concepts we applied the same way to better understand, do we need to change what we're doing or should we just change what our expectation is out of that session numbers wise and provide a great training stimulus for our athletes on that day? Yeah. And then which, which is kind of encouraging, but we'll have athletes that come from two hour practices to TC boost, you know? And then we have this like 95% idea in our heads. Well, these two flying tens, a majority of the athletes are in the low nineties. Well, am I going to make them run four more, three more? Cause the sheet says so. No. 
So what does Coach Steve do? He does a tennis ball throwing competition against the wall and it turns into an awesome session, you know? So that's where it's like, it's like, what does this really look like? You know, like what's our, what's our number one goal? Make them have a fantastic time. What's our second goal? Get them faster along the way. Okay, well, how do we make them faster? By giving them the best workout. Okay, well, how do we like individualize that? We have these percentages. But then there's like the human component, the, the coaching component, the anecdotal, anecdotal component. Um, but then consequently, going back to like uh, me asking those questions, is Steve goes, you know when their best times were? It's like, ah, uh, no, not really. He goes, winter break. They literally woke up, came to TC Boost, and then like went to bed. You know, so there's all these factors that like, I mean, if, if I was, if I was back at TCU, I could quantify how much they were doing on the field or on the court, but like, that's, that's just not feasible here. So there's but like, I had these numbers and I said, Hey, Steve, what do you think this means? You know, I didn't say, Oh, abandoned ship. We gotta, we gotta change everything we're doing, you know? So this data discussion decision model works, works pretty well. Uh, when you have some coaches that have been doing this for a, a decent amount of time. I love it. It's awesome, Matt. So for anyone that's checking in right now on the podcast, I just want to give you an opportunity because Matt is hosting his own podcast, the Talking Shop podcast. He is working and collaborating with coaches kind of across the country on different little projects. What What's the best way if a coach is interested in learning a little bit more about the sports science side that one, they can just kind of follow what you're putting content wise out. And then number two is actually connect with you. What, what do you encourage them to do? Fantastic. So I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Coach Big Toe. So Coach B-I-G-T-O-E. And then my YouTube, I post a lot of, so I post my podcasts on there, but as well as I do a little five-minute sports science series um, that I think is, is a condensed kind of version of sports science topics. So either shoot me a DM. Uh, check out some stuff on my YouTube or my email is matthew.tomets and that'll be in the, in the show notes or just my name fully spelled out. But if you call me Matthew, I'll call you mom. So you can just address me, Matt, in the email, uh, matthew.tomets at gmail. And, you know, I'm still figuring out the sports science stuff, but, but like I said, having an, an opportunity to just like, just go crazy with it, you know, has been super beneficial to me as a professional and and there's a ton of value in it. So I'm learning along the way, but I'd love to share my experiences, learn from what other people are doing. And uh, my podcast, Talking Shop Podcast, that's a little bit less X's and O's E. I do have some kind of training E episodes if, if it's a solo. But so I have a variety of content, but you know, I, I do love coaching coaches and that aspect of it as well. So whoever wants to connect any more questions, uh, please do not hesitate to shoot me a DM or email. I appreciate you again, Matt, and uh, we'll have you on sometime soon.